Recorded live from the inner depths of our souls, this is Transformation Thursday, yet another of the nerves are starting to fray safe at home edition. I'm Amy Stevens and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Penny Sterling, and my pronouns are she, her as well. And in this episode, we'll be speaking with Kent Gustafson. He is a thought leader who works with people who want to make a difference in our world. He has spent decades in the publishing world, ghostwriting books, developing podcasts, and like Penny, he has given a TED Talk. Well, actually, I'm slightly better because I've given two TED Talks. Well, I'll brag about that in the next segment with Kent Gustafson. About a minute after our traditional music swell and fade out... Let's talk about change, Amy. Okay, let me see. It looks like I've got three quarters, a nickel, a Canadian loony, and a few British tenors from when I was in London, because I'm an international comedian. No, not that change. Change is in transformation. The topic of Transformation Thursday. Oh, yeah, that. Well, we're doing this podcast to highlight how much things change and how quickly they do it in society today. Everything changes, and change isn't good or bad. It just is. The more we realize that change is just the natural progression of things, the better off we'll be. Now, let's talk about change. Didn't we just do that? No, no, not the last one. The first one. The coins. Money. About how people can give us some of theirs so that we can continue talking about ours. Are you just trying to get people to go to our Patreon page to support this podcast so that we can continue our exploration of what it means to live in a rapidly changing world? Because although this is a labor of love, we do have expenses, and by going to TransformationThursday.com, they can help ensure that we can continue to be bringing this fun and insightful commentary on the world today, plus get exclusive patrons-only content. Um, if I say yes, can we get on to our next segment? Oh, God, I hope so. Okay, then. TransformationThursday.com. Also, can you break a 20 for me? Sure. I can get that to you in euros. Okay, now you're just showing off. Welcome back to Transformation Thursday. I'm Penny Sterling, and my pronouns have not changed. They're still she, her. And of course, I am Amy Stevens, and my pronouns are she, her as well. Today, we are speaking with Kent Gustafson, who's ghostwritten hundreds of books for thought leaders, for individuals looking to become authors, speakers, and leaders in their given industry. We're also going to chat with Kent about how publishing has changed over the years, how messaging now comes to us in different formats from books, podcasts, social media, and more. But Kent, for my first question for you is, being the only person here on this Zoom call who is not given a TED Talk, can you please tell me how it feels to have such an honor bestowed upon you? Well, um, I'm only a single <laughs> TED, not a double TED, so... Uh... <laughs> I feel like I should default to Penny here, but no, I, I think um, back in the back in 2013, it was when I gave that one. Uh, there's such a challenge with that red dot, you know, just standing in the middle of stage with a red dot and not being able to walk outside that dot. That was the big challenge. The speaking part was all right, but it was the um, not moving around. No, I it, it was a big challenge, and I, I figured out that um, I wouldn't talk about kind of something that I was selling in my business or some piece of my research that had changed the world, but I ended up um, talking about my dad and sort of my core identity and, um, you know, how I want to work with people to make a difference. I think a lot of the times, a lot of 
A lot of people want to know that we're working with that core identity of a person, that it be in business, our friends, whoever. So, and that, you know, I've watched that TED talk before. And so that definitely came through in your situation. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I, I, um, I often when I'm working with people will dive immediately towards their deepest, darkest secrets and be like, you know, <laughs> what were your parents like? You know, tell me the darkest memory you have and things like that because i want to i want to find the depths of somebody um because you know when you're really aiming for core branding and, and core identity and stuff like that it's often way back um and um that's the fun part and i was thinking about how that moment that you were talking about this moment of literal life or death uh where you're with your father and it's like you don't know what's going to happen. You think you as far as as far as you could tell, you're heading for it. Uh, for those who have not heard, we'll provide a link. But for those who have not heard it, uh, Kent starts out by talking about his father and him hydroplaning into a tree at a fairly high rate of speed and what happened afterwards. And it's really um, it was for me. It was really thought provoking. It was it, it hit me emotionally. Um, I actually had a friend when I was in uh, senior, as freshman in college, who had a very similar instant thing that happened to him, but he did not survive. So when you said that, it really it brought that up for me, that that moment up for me. And um, but hearing the talk and hearing that come from you, my my question was, do people need something like that sometimes? Some sort of life or death scare transformative uh you know a lot on the line moment in order to really self-actualize that's a yeah that's an intense question i think my dad and i have had many conversations about that since 2001 when when this accident happened and he's he's pretty convinced and and i i agree with him that people's personalities change dramatically when they go through near death uh, situations also when they go through near-death situations with other family members and um i think in particular for me there was this stark difference within that speech between um this was something that actually happened and, and became kind of the core piece of of who i am which is um you know kind of waking my dad up who was you know it was a pretty terrible dire situation probably was going to die and i was able to wake him up and he he blinked his eyes open and said are we dead it's the strangest thing i'll ever hear in my life i think um <laughs> i hope right but are we dead you can you can cut that any way you want it's a weird it's a weird thing to hear and then um uh three days later uh when i first saw him again which was sort of being wheeled into his room um before they had actually kind of put him on the medicines uh, to sort of be in an artificial coma, you know, because he, when you're taking care of somebody, but he was conscious and he saw me and, and he mouthed these words, we are alive. And it was just, you know, at the mo at the moment, it was like, yep, yep, we are. <laughs> Thank goodness. Good to see you. I'm happy we're both alive. But sort of later when it dawned on me, this duality of, you know, we got these two things that that every single one of us go through um it's a short life got to do what we got to do you know and and help people and make the world better 
I was uh, amazed at that story. From a storyteller, I'm a, I'm a storyteller myself, and so I really enjoyed the cold open that you did about that. It immediately engaged Thanks. everything uh, about me. It was like, okay, this is going to be a cool story. And the story that you told was your story, and your father was a little bit tangential to it. Your father is still alive. How has his life changed? I know that he no longer runs. Um, have there been, yeah. I don't want to say good or bad, but are there other changes in his life? Has he, uh, has he found a way to live a, a, a life of meaning and, uh, and with some joy in it? Yeah, I, I mean, one of the um, most incredible things is, you know, he's been in a, um, a wheelchair now for 19 years. Um, and, and that's after, you know, really, I think I said in the speech, but um, telling my mom, uh, I might've taken it out of the speech, but it was a statement where he'd always said, um, I'd rather die than not run. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you did say that. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, and, 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 you know, it's not necessarily that he meant that, but it was his life. Running was his life. It was his whole, you know, it was his relief, his drug, his, his joy. Um, so he's, he's replaced that with other things like music and family. And, and, um, he's, yeah, one of my, you know, closest friends as well as being family now, which is remarkable, um, given, you know, all childhoods are fraught and relationships with parents are, are difficult. And I think this, this really bound us together. So, and since then he's saved countless children. Um, he's a developmental pediatrician. So he deals with kids who can't speak or kids who are, you know, um, they have spasms so they can't control their body and so you know autism spectrum uh, asperger's and all kinds of different disorders and he's also worked with um traumatic brain injury folks um and is able to somehow sort of sense their communications even if even if uh, they're not able to speak so do you do you think that the fact that he is now in a wheelchair uh gives him any sort of like an automatic commonality with his patients with the now? Yeah, with, with the children, for sure. Yeah. yeah, the kids love it, actually. Um, which is, I mean, they always love Dr. Gus, but now they really, you know, just feel comfortable with him. Yeah, One of us. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. He always had the funny pediatrician ties, you know, <laughs> so he always had some, like Calvin and Hobbes or something, but... Yeah, my kid's pediatrician used to do Donald Duck voice. So that was, every, they have all, every, they probably all have some sort of thing. <laughs> they got to figure something out. Yeah. Everybody, everybody has to have their gimmick, right, Penny? <laughs> got to have a gimmick. Yeah. <laughs> got to have a gimmick. So, so Kent, as, as you come out of that and, you know, and I met you through, through a mutual friend and, you know, through publishing, but, you know, you and I have some commonality. We're both from Minnesota. We grew up pretty close to each other. You come oh, out sure. of college. Yep. Yeah. yeah, for sure. You betcha. <laughs> and but you end up getting into the publishing world and you, you know, you start working with people. So talk about your professional work and, you know, and we'll try to weave that in and out of the story and from the perspective of Transformation Thursday. I was always told as a kid, you know, to kind of choose your path. You know, you, if you, you know, do biology or do, do um, medicine or um, sure music, fine, but um, just do that, you know, stop doing all the other stuff. And I just sort of ignored that, which is part of my privilege, right? I, I had parents who, who still liked me, even though I did that. Um, so I, I went through kind of the, you know, the standard, um, you know, STEM 
stuff. I, I studied biology and geography and, but then I, um, was able to sort of realize my love of creativity by majoring in music and having some great teachers in college. And then um, just kind of went off the deep end, um, got a PhD in music um, and a PhD in classical composing is a little weird. You end up, um, you study a lot of masters, you study, um, composers who do weird things like aleatory music, like um, what you hear out in the air is actually music and Xenakis where there's all these strange rhythms colliding and percussionists doing weird stuff and 12 tone music. A lot of people are familiar with. And then um, one of the geniuses of the entire world, like Bach. And I I'm obsessed with uh, Middle Eastern music and with American traditional music and so on. So I kind of went down that rabbit hole, um, which ended up kind of opening up my creativity in interesting ways and influencing what I'm doing now. Um, but then I kind of did a hard turn when I had to make some money after grad school and, and started a book <laughs> publishing company uh, and then um, ended up meeting some motivational speakers who have kind of wild and crazy stories to tell and, you know, bouffant hairdos and spangly shirts and um, <laughs> uh, really nice teeth and all that. And I realized that they don't know how to write books. And so that's how I stumbled into kind of writing books for and with some really high level folks. And then from there, realizing that my spider skill is kind of finding people's um, beating heart. Yeah. And music encompasses a lot of finding somebody's beating heart. It encompasses composing, writing is composing. So I see a lot of duality in that. And have, and have you been able to, it sounds like you've been able to exploit that over the years. And, you know, can you explain that, that duality of it? Yeah. Um, I think there's, there's the, there's the creativity and then there's the process uh, or um, there's the work and there's the analysis of the work. Um, so if you see a great guitar player, um, or John Coltrane, for example, we were talking about Michael Jordan earlier, a master, right? Um, John Coltrane was also a master of the saxophone and jazz. And there's a story where in Japan, someone transcribed one of his solos as he was playing it. And after the concert came up to him and said, Hey, here's the solo you played. And he said, I can't read that. <laughs> So it's, um, I would say having gone through a formal education in music helped me understand the creative process and how to pull out the emotions and pull out the core identity of, of someone or of, of, you know, of, of the music, um, and the emotions. And then on the flip side of that, to, to look at something objectively and say, what is that person doing? What are all of those pieces of the music based on? Are they coming out of their heart? Are they coming from someone else's influence? Or, you know, so then that applied to, to a business or that applied to a book, same thing. Um, you, you can either build a business or you can analyze a business. And I, I kind of see it all the same way. That's really fascinating. What about your business? Uh, where is that coming from? Is it coming from your heart? Uh, it comes from my mother's maiden name. 
as a trick that's a trick answer um, that's a great answer actually if, if you wanted to give a little bit of background of your family where you came from you've talked about yourself professionally i know that's music your father is a doctor uh, and you talked about privilege what was your life like growing up your sounds like your parents were very accepting and encouraging yeah, of you i mean i i um was the kid of two hippies without the drugs that's they call themselves um but ch children of the 60s um you know guitar playing peace loving mom who um studied elementary education and and could sing like Joan Baez and um you know lived uh off the army base in Hawaii when my sister was a little kid and my dad was serving in Vietnam but he was in Hawaii taking care of GI's kids um, and they were on the beach and my sister was identifying all the fish and they lived next to Arlo Guthrie and um, my sister played with Arlo's kids. And it's this, it, um, you know, love of Pete Seeger and of, of uh, folk music. And I grew up in that world, uh, but at the same time, the world of Garrison Keillor, you know, the, the women are strong and the men are good looking and the children are above average. We, that was like church on Saturday. And then we went to church on Sunday, a different place, grew up with a liberal version of Lutheran Christianity that that said that God loves us without as much of the hate the hatred I guess um, found out about that stuff later on <laughs> but I'd say I was brought up in a way that was sheltered in a beautiful way my my mother was uh, incredibly kind and loving my dad was brilliant and uh, inspiring there were challenges uh, but um, I had a lot of opportunities. And so now you're helping other people find their opportunities. Is there, if, have you found anything that surprised you uh, when you started doing this, uh, this work? Yeah, I mean, um, every day, I think. Uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that was a very leading question yeah. on my part. Yeah, well, no, I mean, I think, uh, so there's a, there's a publishing company that used to be called, um, book in a box now they're called um scribe media but i always thought it was kind of a funny idea um because i and i sort of push off from that i said you know you go to them and you want you want a certain book and you say will you write that for me and they do it and you're done it's a book in a box and i i think that my approach is more emergent it's it's more like my dad intuits if a child is sick my mother intuits if you know, what someone's problems are as a, as a poet and a therapist and as a mom. And I have that approach of kind of seeing what emerges, seeing if I poke enough on different things, if I talk about the childhood or I talk about the core brand or I talk about um, things that make somebody angry or in other ways emotional, uh, maybe I'll get something cool out of them. So I would say... I feel incomplete if I'm not surprised uh, in my work. I get bored. Yeah, and I would think every project has its own twists and turns to it, so that must be the unique part of it. That's the good part, yeah, because um, it's sort of like air. Um, you can't invent air that hasn't been breathed. Uh, um, you can't, <laughs> like, stories, stories have been told for millions of years. You can't really do a story that hasn't been told but I love chick flicks. And if, <laughs> to be honest, like if there's a new actor in it, 
and it's the same story of Cinderella, I'll watch it. Like I, I just, there's certain things we like, you know, and anytime somebody makes pizza, I don't care if it's made out of, I don't know, cardboard flour, I'm going to eat it and like it. Yeah, it's the thing about pizza. Even bad pizza is still pizza. It's hundred percent true. I feel that way about tacos. Oh yeah, taco pizza is really good. By the mm. way, our family does a uh, does a make your own pizza night like on on the regular, and we make so many very interesting variants. But I don't want to talk about pizza because I just had lunch and I don't want to get hungry again. I want to talk about stories because uh, my TED talk. Well, my second. TED Talk is all about the power of stories. And that seems to be what you're talking about here. And that, and my view, my, my definition of a story is anything that is designed to make you feel something is a story. Mm-hmm. And it's from that feeling, it's from that tender heart that you try to hide that you tell the best stories. And a lot of times what the job is uh, to get people to tell their stories is to break that heart. They've, they've got a heart and heart and it needs to be broken. Yeah. And it just feels like that's what you're trying to do with these people from a like a professional um, standpoint. Or am I just interpreting your th- stuff through my lens? I, I don't know. No, you're no, you're right. And I think um, art is interesting in all of its forms because of um, uniqueness comes from the uh, oddity, uh, the weirdness of of something, not from the I've heard this before parts. Um, every famous painting almost started with a canvas. That means they're all the same. They're all mac and cheese. They're all the same thing. Um, and the, the difference between them is some kind of emotion, some kind of uh, little you know twist and turn, some strange ingredient. So I'm always looking for what that strange ingredient is. Um, the tender heart piece, that's a, that's a cool line. Um, I think you can use it. Yeah, thanks. It's all yours. I just did. No, but, but like, <laughs> <laughs> I like I like the idea of it because I think sensitivity is not something particularly uh, incub- incubated in either men or women uh, uh, or anybody else in society because it's just um, we're supposed to be tough, and I think stories come out of being vulnerable. Yeah, I think that that's almost like a uh, a design feature of modern society that emotion and feeling is uh, not only not considered, it is avoided and mocked in many ways. Yeah, so, social media, in a lot of ways, ironically, is the antithesis of story. Uh, you can find great stories on social media, especially if you're in the right frame of mind. Sort of like you can watch a great film and feel a story. But there's such a lack of, you know, sitting on grandpa's knee and having him tell you a story um, is is so visceral and so uh, overwhelmingly kind hearted and gentle, um, even if it's about something horrible like war or if it's a, a strange, twisted comic story, it's still gentle and sweet in some way um, or funny or whatever. So talk about real quick some of the surprising, you know, you've you've published how many books now, Kent? Oh, I don't know. Um, or four, uh, four or 500, probably about 500. Yeah. 
What are some stories that, you know, that you maybe a project you went into and you said, well, I don't know if there's going to be something great that comes out of this. But, you know, but what are some twists and turns in there that have, have really, you know, changed your point of view? You know, as you were listening to people tell you these stories and, you, and you're writing on their behalf or, you know, making that process work for them. Yeah, there's um, I, I sometimes talk with uh, clients about one one guy. um who still needs to publish his book, but I, I've done a bunch of work with him. His name's Eric McIlvenny, Um, and he's a speaker who who got uh, wounded in Afghanistan. Um, and we had some amazing conversations about, um, you know, what you would expect uh, a book about that experience to entail. And he speaks about it. Um, he does uh, speaks all around the country. He's an Ironman athlete, um, even though he lost uh, a limb. And I find that just absolutely amazing. Everyone does. Um, and one of his senior officers basically said to him to, you know, to encourage him that um, you know, he's going to get back to it. And I think he said to him, um, I'm going to run a marathon or maybe the, and then he ended up doing an Ironman and he's, he might have set a record by now and he's been featured by all kinds of things. So I, my response to him when he inspired me with his story and I, you know, moved, I'm incredibly moved, right? My response was, okay, so what's the, what's different about this? I've read this story before, right? And it's, that's, that's the intensity of the world we live in today. We've, we've read every story. So what makes him different? And then he kept telling me things and he kept explaining things. And all of a sudden he tells this part of the story where he's four or five miles from the end of the marathon after he swum two miles in the ocean and did that, what, 200 mile bike ride. And he's five miles from the end of the marathon. He can't go any further. And he's in Hawaii, in Kona on this asphalt road. And there are people, you know, running by him. Um, because it's, you know, he's not at the front, he's somewhere in there and he took off his leg and he sat down in the middle of the road and said, that's it, I'm done. And from that moment, he stood up, put the leg back on and then finished the last five miles of the race. And that's, that's the story. So it's, 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 um, that was surprising. You know, when you get that level, it's just extraordinary. And, and you can you can almost imagine there's like a rebirth of the person at that point as well that says, you know, he was totally torn down throughout his training and he got to that point, but yet he regrouped, took the leg off, and then there's like a, there's, there's almost a baptism story within mm -hmm. that, I, I feel like so. Yeah, I'm obsessed with real deep and dark stuff and in most you know most projects <laughs> most projects i get into they don't go there you know well uh, we have a couple but, stories about a couple transgender women you might be interested in <laughs> absolutely well because because there are people in this is my view but people in the transgender community and in the whole larger you know more aware parts of society that have dug into parts of themselves that other people have not and part of that's because they've been hurt and abused and mistreated and, and downtrodden, um, which obviously I'm preaching to the choir. <laughs> but 
Yeah, there's a lot to dive into with that. I mean, you can take a look at that from societal expectations placed on people, especially when it comes to gender roles. You know, we all grew up in the 70s and 80s primarily. You know, you have the expectations of growing up in those times around sexuality and everything else. So, I mean, but yeah, but so there's a lot of things that could go on there. And I I can tell Penny is. I was a crier. (laughs) Me too. In the 80s, yeah. Yeah. Not not great try it in the 60s um that that was like (laughs) like a girl was my father's go-to critique of everything that i did that was wrong so that was really hard for me now i want i want to go back to uh the the triathlon story because what i was thinking about when you told that about the 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 him taking off his leg and saying i'm done i found for me that giving myself permission to fail is oftentimes what I need to do mm-hmm. in order to succeed. It it just seems that way. I right. um when I was forty eight years old, I had this idea that I was going to ride a bicycle up a mountain, and I wasn't even a bike rider back then. Um, and it took me four years to do it, but I rode my bike up Mount Washington. Um, and one of the things that got me through my training was letting myself say to my allowing myself to say i'm not going to make it up this hill i will stop when i don't want to make it up this hill i'll stop when it's too hard and by letting by by removing that pressure on myself this external pressure that you know that itty bitty shitty committee uh drives into my head that's (laughs) mostly my father and my mother uh telling me that i can that i'm not allowed to fail but just removing that stumbling block is oftentimes what i need in order to, to, to succeed some way. Yeah. It's like the, I always think, uh, it's like the, the training wheels concept. Uh, you put the training wheels on the kids, not going to learn to drive the thing very well. You know, and the, in, in Europe, they have these new things where they just take the pedals off. Do you, have you seen those now? They just, they have these little bikes with no pedals and you just run around. They're amazing. Oh, okay. I thought you meant like actual, like, you know, while they're riding. Never mind. Okay, that makes much more Just sense. <laughs> That's horrible. You're done. <laughs> That's really dark. <laughs> yeah. Good luck, Billy. That's awful. Well, yeah, okay, yeah, though, that, that, now I can see that. All right, now you know. That's actually an ancient, that was the original bicycles with the way they did it, is they just had, like, a front rear and a rear, rear wheel, and they just ran with them under on, in their crotches. That sounds fun. Well, talk about yeah, <laughs> so so many so you, so you started so we we're talking about publishing and writing books, but what's changed with how the consumer is related to books in the last twenty years? Um, my thought is, um, I look at myself first, and uh, I don't I don't even really have patience to read very often anymore. I, I do enjoy reading from time to time. Uh, but life has gotten so much faster that um, I actually, I unwind to audiobooks. I like audiobooks. I think they're actually reading maybe because I started with physical, like actual uh, using my eyes. Um, so I consider audiobooks actual reading. Um, and ebooks were kind of, you know, around what, 2003, four, five, it's like eBooks are going to take over from regular books, which is always the most ridiculous thing, uh, concept. I mean, there, 
you know, it makes sense that an iPod could have a whole music library in it and your phone, same thing. That makes sense. But you, it's just not the same thing with a book. Um, I think the closest analogy is audiobooks because you can have those on your phone. You can listen to them, absorb them. But ebooks just haven't replaced regular books. And um, I think the way the industry has changed is that we're so bombarded through our eyeballs all day that the quality of reading that we do, it just has to be lower because we're reading all day, every day. We're staring at the screen right now. We're staring at a screen, pretending it's each other, right? It's our eyeballs are exhausted by the end of yeah. the day. So reading can't have the same experience. As it and, I, and I agree with you about the eBooks because for me, when it's actual book reading, it is such a tactile thing with me. The, the, the feel of yeah. the book, the weight of the book, the smell of the book, where the, are you, go ahead. Are you a crack of the spine guy? Like if you get a brand new book and you go, Oh God, you get pleasure. Oh out of crack yes, of the absolutely. <laughs> and the worst part is that I have friends who let me borrow books who like, are like, don't you dare. And, uh, and I'm like, but this is, it's a book. I'm going to be reading. I'm going to be reading it one hand and I'm going to be reading it in bed. I'm going to fall asleep. And it's going to land on my face. Of course, it's going to, it's going to, it's this, the spine is going to be that way. So yeah, I'm very much of a tactile and I'm the same way about eBooks. It does not, it, it does not feel like reading to me. It feels like I'm doing something other than reading, but the, but the audiobook is a great way. It's, it, it is much because I think it's because the, it's disengaged the other senses that I have the, right. the smell and the feel so that I'm able to just concentrate on the words in an entirely different way. So it's just a different Avenue as opposed to walking on a different side of a different of the same street. If that makes sense. It does. And I just realized I said, um, are you a crack the book open kind of guy? So that makes me think about the word guy in general. Mm -hmm. I have a question for you guys. Uh, sure. Cause kids say you guys, for you all are you people but it is a male term so yeah i'm just curious what your thought is around i use the word guy and what about you guys i'm just curious well i would you know i was penny and i have discussed this before so i we have our views on this so that is definitely gendered language and we would prefer right. to be addressed you know if we're going to use gendered language towards transgender gal. people gal you know feminine <laughs> um you know but also new gal feels gal feels bad because then i'm like oh then it's like ladies i don't say gal to <laughs> yeah okay ladies you know something like that but you know and um you know and i think we talk about more woke crowds and you know and you know you know, learning and pushing beyond that. I mean, folks, F-O-L-X, you know, I've been using that yeah. a lot, using they, them, you know, for people, yeah. you know, in the, you know, to get past that, you know, and if I'm not sure of somebody's um, pronoun choice these days, I will default to they, them. And it's, and that's, that's a hard thing for a lot of people to work with, you know, and I will go back to as well. Yeah. I mean, Penny raised her hand here and even, even us in, in as, as liberal and as woke as we think we are, you know, we still have adjustment changes with it. But, you know, I flashed my Starbucks 32 ounce cup here a little bit ago, but I work part time at Starbucks right now. And that's where I'm, I'm the oldest, I'm 48 years old. I'm the oldest person that works in the store. And most of the people there are teenagers, early 20s. 
and guy, man, all those gender dude, dude, all those gender terms True. are ubiquitous within the millennial, the younger millennials. They'll say it to women. Yep. And, right? and they'll say, hey, man, and it's to a woman that, that confuses me always. Yeah. And that's yeah. so. But it's I guess it is what it is. You know, and as much as I try to fight against it, sometimes I just I just realize the current's too strong and I just, you know, go with the flow. So right. I hope that answers your question. No, it's great. And I, I just noticed as it flew out of my mouth. Well, thank you for noticing. Uh, which. Well, yeah. But I also, you know, my I remember in what 89 to 93 when my sister was in college um i remember i I called her a girl once she's like i'm not a girl i'm a woman and i was like you know i don't know how i was 15 and i was like oh man (laughs) but i then i became aware of like oh I, i should be careful what i say and you know but it's 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 such an strange thing to go back and listen to old comedy specials or we what did we watch the other day (laughs) whose line is it anyway oh man, it, they're brilliant, right? But then all of a sudden you see things and you're like, why is he doing that? Or like, is that a, holy cow, <laughs> you know? Yeah, there there are a lot of things, you know, when you look back on it, you know, that's where that phrase, it didn't age well comes in. And so, and when it comes to gender and LGBTQ representation in media, there's, there's a whole lot of that. So, um, you know, but getting back to the, the point of books and audio and all right. that stuff, you know, one of the things I've noticed during, you know, we're recording this, you know, late August 2020 or late August. April. Late, that, it feels like late August. I feel like I just yeah, missed like, month uh, us. <laughs> yeah. Just... <laughs> Jesus. Uh, May, but June, it's, July. We just skipped yeah, three months. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, the way <laughs> they're going, I would be happy to. Yeah. yeah. The way it's going, wake me up in December. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's late April and we're in the middle of this pandemic and friends that I have in the podcasting world and, you know, I'm not reading anymore, but I'm definitely not listening as much as I used to either because the place where I did most of my listening is sitting in my driveway. Right. Not moving anymore. Right. So, and I know you, you know, we've talked about podcasts, you know, off air before but you know have you noticed any trends like that now that even that reading that listening to books podcasts you know does that seem to go down now because of the pandemic because now you're have your eyeballs on social media you have your eyeballs on your drink cup more um you know i'm sure there's going to be a lot of treatment centers that are going to be full after this because of you know so many people are drinking so much more so there are other activities that are keeping us busy so any trends you've seen, you know, a few few months into this pandemic? It's a, uh, it's been fascinating. What I so, I I tend to be a positivist in almost everything. Um, the the amazing thing for me about this is that people are producing content. So the fact that you got the last mic means people are recording. People are capturing their voices. They're they're. And I would, I would almost venture to say people are producing more and consuming less, which is kind of neat. If we think of it as farming, it's like you're, you're making your own vegetables. Um, you're entertaining your own people, like you're the people down the block, people in your family, the people in your circle, like you'll, you'll see sort of small audiences, hundred people, 200 people, 50 people, 
20 people. Like you just see these little groups forming. And I, I love that. I like the sort of micro brew vibe of it. Um, and that's what happened to music in the nineties when you started to see people selling their CDs in the back of the room. And then there was iTunes and stuff. It, it, it broke down the, the, the hierarchy of those people are stars and I'm not that, um, that said, then you get, then you get conglomerations and you got YouTube stars and all that. But I would say in terms of the way people are consuming, um, it's all about location. So when things, if things normalize, it'll be the car again. It'll be at work, right? Because a lot of people will listen to podcasts at work all day. I tend to, I'm, I'm listening about the same amount uh, right now, um, but I, you know, work from home, so um, there's not a big change for me. So I can't speak to that. In terms of books, the the trend has been the Titanic is sinking but there are plenty of little boats in the harbor. Um, it's, it's that, I, I think the whole thing is media happens where whatever new thing comes out, there's, there's big stars. And then as it goes along, it's like, Oh, now everybody can do YouTube. Now everybody can be on Facebook. Now everybody can podcast. The thing, the thing I believe about podcasting and about audio formats is that it's not going anywhere because you don't want to use your eyeballs all day. You just put the podcast on, you take a walk, you take a drive, you go to the gym, wake up in the morning and spend some time alone. And that's the beautiful thing about audio. So I guess I'd probably just say there's, there's taste, you know, you got your food, there's um, smell, you've got your, I don't know, perfumes or something. <laughs> or, or, or again, also food, you know, food, there's right. a, yeah, uh, Molly Katzen, who does the uh, who did the Moosewood cookbook. Oh yeah, and is a, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love yeah, those. Um, I, yeah, I was actually I ate at the Moosewood back when it was cool to eat at the no Moosewood because I went to Ithaca College. Um, mm. So yeah, it was really cool. But she talks about whenever she has guests over, she will saute onions, even if she's not going to put onions in her food. She sautes onions because of the smell of the onions makes it feel like home. Huh. So yeah. I love the smell that. is another good one, yeah. Yeah, and, and when people are selling things. houses, same thing, right? You bake cookies or whatever, cover up the smell of the dead rats. <laughs> <laughs> well, you say like dead rat likes it's a bad smell, you know? I thought he was a positivist. <laughs> I or... thought so. <laughs> well, he's positive there's a dead rat someplace, so yeah. there you go. Uh, yeah, but I think I, I'm amazed by podcasting. So, you know, right now, um, and here, here's a funny thing that I've been thinking lately. Podcasts and books are actually, uh, you have an intimate connection with your listener. There's a, that's a big difference from um, a lot of different forms of media because somebody's going to curl up with a book. You, you rarely have a group of people with a book. Just kids do that usually. Um, sometimes they're book readings, but, but usually it's just you and a book. And it's the same thing with podcasts. You rarely listen to a podcast in a group because it's a highly individual thing. And I think um, that, you know, podcasts are the new books in, in a lot of ways. Um, they teach us things, they educate us. What I'm a little afraid of is that they are the new education. And that's where we get into dangerous waters uh, because everybody and their sister can be a podcaster. Everybody and their brother can publish a book. So then it's a matter of, 
are we reading a book because someone paid a lot of money to get it in front of us? Or are we listening to a podcast because someone told us to listen to it? Um, so then, you know, that's a totally different discussion. But then you also get into the idea of podcasts or books as education, you know, but that's more of a micro level. And then because of the low bar of entry, now you're talking about education that specifically suits you and your viewpoint as a person and not that's the scary yeah. thing it's the wonderful thing for i mean it's everything that's the same thing as the internet the internet made the whole world a better place until it didn't <laughs> i mean right. it's both it's the we are humans uh humans bully and humans get bullied um humans are evil humans are wonderful um often at the same time i think a lot of it is with the way it's used it's a tool yeah you know and you know a a hammer can be used to build a hammer can be used to knock down a hammer can be used to kill yeah it's still a hammer and if all you do is an echo chamber uh even in your podcast or whatever it is that you're consuming if you're only focusing on the things that reinforce whatever uh you believe in and especially if what you what what you what drives you is fear it's going to amplify that right. and it takes a conscious decision on the on the people's part to to move away from that right. and to look for it and transformation you know, and I, transformation takes a catalyst that's the thing we always forget you have to um in order to have something happen in chemistry you got to throw something in the mix that's going to go boom um and right. most people aren't walking down their path uh, expecting that stumble or that boom or that hydroplane into a tree in your case yeah yeah it's been an amazing conversation with you kent so what are your besides you know transformation thursday so that's number one what are numbers two through like four or five of your favorite podcasts oh that's a hard question i i um or just some of the ones that you the ones that you off the top of your head that you think so of that, that I, you will listen to on a regular should basis. Should I be trying to sound smart here or can I um can I tell you the truth? I think you just sound like Kent Gustafson. <laughs> okay. I think you just sound like Kent Gustafson. One one <laughs> one sound smart, one truth and one funny. Okay. Well there you go. I like that. Uh so the sound smart I'd say is um Radio Lab. I think just oh, oh the yeah. OG of podcasting. When I first heard Radio Lab, I thought, wow. That's amazing. Um, I would say funny is guilty pleasure. I, I love Bachelor Recap podcasts. I could listen all day. <laughs> just could, and it's the funniest thing. I, this whole recapping thing doesn't make any sense until you start listening to recaps, and they're so relaxing. I don't know why. And I also get the vernacular of the kids by listening to that stuff. Um, and then my what was the other one? My uh, funny one. I guess maybe that is funny. Truth. 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 There you go. Um, I I I don't like crime ones. I know people love crime ones. They they just they're just for uh, me they're oh, it's too dark. Um, that's a hard. It's it's hard to figure out. I I guess I'm I'm a sucker for news podcasts i think i think i when when the npr politics podcast first came out i was in europe and um it was the election between clinton and trump 
and I was listening to their recaps of the of what was happening every day. And, and that also shaped how I perceive what podcasting can be. Just a bunch of people talking, um, sharing what they feel and what they're seeing in uh, almost impartial way, you know, but with a little bit of opinion. Well, in the world of politics, you know, like you said, the NPR, the politics podcast is pretty impartial, but yet they probably lean left. I mean, it is NPR, so it's mm -hmm. every media has bias. That's, you know, one of the things I learned in my undergrad. But, you know, but if you look at the power of podcasting, and especially Young Turks, I mean, that is a oh, hard yeah. left podcast. But how many, you know, millennials and Gen Z people are getting their news and their political viewpoints from that one podcast alone. So there's, a, you know, we talk about micro, but there's some macro implications to podcasting as well. Yeah, I think I think I'm obsessed with um, uh, brand and core identity, like I mentioned at the very beginning. And I think um, the amazing thing about podcasting and about books and about the things that I, you know, gravitate towards is that it's long form media. I like stuff that flashes at me. I like quick, you know, fast food. I like fast food, but I shouldn't be eating it every meal, right? So it's like, I also like the long, the soups and the stuff that's been cooking a long time. And the idea for me with a book is that I can be with that book for a week or a month and it accompanies me and it calms me down it can, and I can learn something from it. The beautiful thing about a podcast is that I can listen for an hour and be with that every day or once a week or whatever. And there's a comfort to that. And I think um, I'm all about chilling with a podcast, chilling with a book. And I think that's something that that spans the generations from, you know, um, silence and baby boomers on down to kids. They like chilling. Sometimes I'll do this. I'll have a book that I will just read over and over again. Uh, and this is like something that I did from junior high school. Um, I would just like in junior high school, the the book was uh, Starman's Son by Andre Norton, uh, and it was it was about a, it was a science fiction post post nuclear world with this outcast who actually saves things. And for me, as a deeply closeted uh, transgender person, it was it was a, it was escape. And so I would just read that over and over. Now the the book that I use as kind of an escape is uh, Neil Gaiman's Anansi Boys, which is just it's a wonderful book, and it's just. Everything, huh. every, every page is just pure pleasure. It, and so I will just like sometimes just grab it and open it up and just start reading because everything, I know that every on every page there's going to be something that I enjoy. So I, I recognize that uh, your your view on books because it, it kind of resonates with me. There's comfort. Um, what I think is amazing is, yeah, I'm, I'm actually obsessed with um, Narnia and Lord of the Rings because really? those were books that I read as a little, little kid. Uh, the first mm -hmm. time and there's literally concepts from there that now I realize are, are, very, are they're like archetypes in my brain. Like I, the, this little dude in Narnia is reap cheap, this strong, like tiny little mouse. Who's also, who's really fierce. And he's like, I'll come get you. I'll tear you, you know, but he's this fierce little guy. Um, and I, so it's almost like a totem, right? In my brain, I'm like, reap, what would reap cheap? Uh, think or you know so it's 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 amazing what books and stories can do for us so I'm, I'm obsessed with um 
our innate ability to create stories, which it seems like Penny, we're, we're on the same page because as humans, that's how we've survived. We're skinny little naked creatures that have survived because of stories, you know. You have that memory of books, you know, in Narnia, but also Radiolab more recently. You know, when I was going through, before I started HRT and I was exploring sexuality, Radiolab did a series called Gonads. Hmm. And that really... Go, Nance, go! Know, Oh, sorry. Not a cheer. Sorry. <laughs> but their scientific research on gonads and how they change and how we view sex and gender really, you know, played an integral part in me being able to open up my mind to the no possibilities way. of what could exist for me. So, huh. you know, those are that was hugely important in my life more recently within the last three years. And it's it's long form. Those those a lot of those programs they they. They linger on ideas. I also like um, what's what's the name of that show? Um, oh darn! Transformation Thursday. Transformation Thursday. That's the one. <laughs> um, but there there are a bunch of there are a bunch of shows that that uncover hidden truths, and some of them are oh. some of them are uh, conversational shows uh, where things emerge in conversation, and I love those the best, just like this one. There are others where they do reporting and they go deep. And they figure out truths about, you know, why someone, why this is happening and why that's happening. And I'm, I'm amazed by the investigative reporting well, that's happening. It's not investigative reporting, but Hidden Brain by NPR. It's brilliant. Yeah. That's, that's a brilliant podcast and weekly show on NPR now. Yeah. It's so mind blown we, emoji. We could ramble on for hours though, couldn't we? I, I think for me, the key, the key is every my my deepest belief is that every person we ever come across if it's um a total asshole or a an angel or a child or a someone who has disabilities of some kind everyone has some kind of angle some hook um that they've developed over their lifetime uh something that's compelling a story and i'm always trying to find what the best story is in someone. And I, I'm, I'm like a, a hunter for that stuff. If somebody wants to contact you about, you know, their story and getting it into book, podcast, or whatever format you think would be worthwhile, how how can people find you? Uh, people can uh, do a deep dive on Google and, and check out check out my <laughs> sordid past. No, um, they can find me on Twitter at Dr. Kent, Dr. Kent. Um, they can find me um, at talktokent.com and just schedule a quick chat. That's often the best way to get get acquainted with people. It's as old as time. Knock on somebody's door and say hi. So uh, that'd be great. And I, I think sort of getting to the heart of what somebody wants to do with their life and and actually, you know. Uh, wind some purpose around that and build a business around that. That's that's what I love doing. Well, it's really been great talking with you. That's Dr. Kent Gustafson, a uh, one-time TED Talker. Um, I, as, opposed, as opposed to like some of us who have done two TED Talks. And by the way, I don't know if you're going to hate well, me for this. We'll never this live Kent. it down. Never will. And, and, and the thing that my second TED Talk, I did not stay on the red dot. I told them I was going to walk. I knew, And so... Wow. 
you know, when when you get up there with those TED talks, you start to get a little 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 uh, little swag, a little uh, little pull, is like I'd say. Yeah, my my good buddy across the mountain here, who's an organic farmer, um, he has a word for something like a double TED talker. Um, he, you know, if if you get an egg that has two yolks in it, he calls it a double yoker. Yeah, I'm a <laughs> I'm a double talker, I guess. Apparently. <laughs> Ken Gustafson, it's been a great hour talking with you, uh, and uh, we'll put a link to some of your information in our show. And Amy and I will be back in a minute to wrap up this show. Thank you so much, Kent, and we'll be right back. This is Transformation Thursday. To financially support Transformation Thursday, go to transformationthursday.com, and that will bring you to our Patreon page. Once there, click on the Become a Patron button. You can also follow us online on Facebook. You can follow us by searching for Transformation Thursday Podcast, and please join our private Facebook group by searching Transformation Thursday on Facebook. On Twitter and Instagram, you can follow us at TransThursPod. To make sure you stay up to date with all the latest episodes, please subscribe to the Transformation Thursday Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google podcast or wherever you get your podcasts on apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star rating and a short review it's free and it does help get transformation thursday out to a larger audience finally transformation thursday is copyrighted material all rights reserved 2020 welcome back to transformation thursday i'm penny sterling and my pronouns are as always she her and my pronouns are she, her, and my name happens to be Amy Stevens. That's a good name to have. You look just like an Amy, Amy. <laughs> it was very nice of my parents to name me twice. Yeah, you were lucky. <laughs> I, had, I had to find my own, you know, and, uh, and so you, you, got, you were lucky about that. And we were lucky to talk with Dr. Kent Gustafson. I didn't know he was a doctor until halfway through there, so I never actually called him old Doc Gus. But he was a fascinating conversation about a man who found... Uh, he's a catalyst and found his, found a way to use all of the things that he's learned in his life in a way that he didn't think was going to happen. Yeah, I mean, the, the TED Talk's amazing, Kent, and how he evolved, you know, I mean, he coming out of that music background and, you know, wrapping that into storytelling and writing books and the duality of it when you when you put it together is obvious, but when you first think about it, it's, it's really an old-fashioned head-scratcher, so... And, you know, in this, in music and books and podcasts were in you storytelling me with comedy and what we do on stage and through the through these this audio medium of podcasting is this isn't new. It's in storytelling. We've we've and in this day and age, we have heard pretty much all the stories. Mm hmm. And so we and we talk about this. We've talked about this a lot. And Kent it really just drove home for me today is. There's, there's, our stories have been told at, on a lot of levels, but it's our individuality and our unique experiences that make and shape the stories. And, but they also not only make and shape the stories, but they also make and shape our lives. And so I think that's one of the things that as we continue approaching a year plus now, on, or while we're coming up to a year in July of actively making podcast episodes here, you know. That's one of the things that really stands out for me is that, you know, change and stories and transformations, they continue to evolve and happen. And they're neither good nor bad, as you always say, Penny. They just are. Absolutely. And another thing that just is, is your Minnesota roots. And whenever we talk to somebody who's from the old sod out there, I, I just love hearing these the, this stuff pop into you like all of a sudden that's an old-fashioned head scratcher 
<laughs> I could just, you know, see your ancestors behind the old plow there. And so it was, don't you know, you betcha. So yeah, my, my takeaway with this is that change requires catalysts. He talked about it. He talked about it in his TED talk. The, for him, there was a the very dramatic catalyst of almost dying that that moved him along in this. But the idea that we need to find some sort of spark, some sort of um, awareness, some sort of revelation to, um, I don't want to say rock bottom, because it doesn't always have to be a rock bottom, but that is, that's a good way of doing it. And that's, you know, coming from a, a 12 step perspective, that's the way, the only way you change is by getting to a point where the only thing you can do is either change or die. But it doesn't, it, it doesn't need to go that way. It doesn't need to be that way. It needs to be that awareness of, okay, I want my life to be better and I need to do something to make it better. And uh, that idea is something I think is going to permeate uh, my thinking for quite some time. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, when we look at change, there has to be that catalyst. And I know you, you and I have discussed ours on this podcast. A lot of our guests have, you know, Kent talked about that this evening. So, you know, whatever it is that you're out there struggling with, whatever you're dealing with, especially during this pandemic, you know, please know you're not alone. Please know that all of us are having hard emotions dealing with this. And even though Penny and I come off as really bubbly, happy people, you know, I know I've cried myself to sleep a few nights during this pandemic and, and you know, and that's just being honest. And so know you're not alone. And if you need to reach out and chat, you know, I, I offer you that opportunity to contact us and, you know, we can get you resources or if you just want an ear to listen to, you know, a shoulder to, shoulder cry, to on. cry on, especially from a safe from distance. a safe distance and especially one is as big and built and beautiful as pennies. There you go. <laughs> that is called damning with faint praise, Amy, by the way. <laughs> yeah, actually, this is this is kind of interesting. I um, just did a uh, I just did a story for a, a local radio show uh, about this and um, my perspective is a little bit different but the the whole idea that I had in that story is you will adapt we will adapt to this we will adapt to things and we will find the gift in everything yeah and one of the best gifts I've had is doing this podcast with you Aww. Amy so I can't wait to do the next one. I think it's time for us to, to wrap it up this evening. It's been another fantastic episode of Transformation Thursday. If you want to support us, how would they do that, Amy? The easiest way to do that is find us on Patreon, and you can do that by typing www.transformationthursday.com into your browser of choice. Anything that you do to help us will help you because it'll keep us doing these tremendous podcasts. But for now, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a little slice of heaven. Good night, Amy. Good night, Penny. Oh yeah, don't you know, you betcha. <laughs>